as queer identities, we are literally the other. And so we are more than half of everything. Our intersections are in every spaces. It's not just about religion. We exist in religious spaces, not just about race. We are in race spaces. We are in politics and business. Like our identities exist everywhere. And so it seems like we should be able to to have a, a greater ability to impact all of those spaces. Denzel Porteous is just one of those people who radiates warmth. His tenderness shines through in all of the details in who he is as a son, as a community member, and now as a father. Denzel brings this tenderness to the work he does with Stonewall Columbus, which fights for equality and inclusion for LGBTQ people, and Pride Fund, a venture fund that's committed to empowering the next generation of queer entrepreneurs. His deep convictions about justice, access, and intention all begin in the home. And on this episode, Denzel invites us into his. Welcome to Your Attention, Please, the companion podcast to the Hulu series of the same name that introduces us to present-day makers of Black history. I'm Kimberly Drew, curator, writer, and co-editor of the anthology Black Futures. One small production note, Denzel was traveling for work and in a location that's a little noisy at times, so you might hear some background noise, and we decided to keep those parts in the episode because what he's saying is just that important. So let's get into it. Today's guest is Denzel Porteous, venture partner, capacity builder, and self-described professional gay. Hello Hello and welcome. Hello, hello, hello. I'm sorry, I got excited. (laughs) So I said hello first or at the same time. That happens when you're excited. When you're excited. I'm so glad to be here. Hello, hello. (laughs) Thank you so much for joining us. I cannot wait to dig in and learn from you, learn with you, and learn with, learn with. Cover all of these beautiful black queer bases together. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here and to learn with you and, and just be in a little community with you for a little while. So thank you. Before we get into it, I wanted to start with your bio on your website because I really love it. Okay. Your bio says, I am gay born that way. I'm Afro-Caribbean, Black. I am a new American, naturalized citizen. I am Jewish, believe that way. Yeah, that's a lot. (laughs) Multitudes. And I I think it's a perfect segue for talking about your segment. And I, I wonder if you could talk about in navigating all of these identities that are so intersectional, what felt really essential for you in terms of storytelling for this project? Wow, so many things. Um, I think being able just to bring full emotion to it, I think was probably most important for me. Um, You know, I think so often emotion as a Black man is not something that we are allowed to show in certain spaces and places and ways. And this was a love letter and a note and so many things to people. So that that's full of emotion, right? Like it's a, a love letter to my daughter to let her know that, you know, all of this is, is ultimately for her. It's, it's a love letter to my mother who inspired me to do all of these things. And these are deeply emotional things. I didn't expect my mother to, to not be here with me 
here I am at, at 40. I thought she'd still be alive. I didn't expect that. And it's emotional to think about her inspiration uh, getting me to this space. Um, I never thought that I'd have a daughter. Again, as a, as a gay man, that wasn't something that I grew up thinking, oh, I'm just going to, you know, have a kid one day. You know, I thought about all the struggles that that lay there versus the, the happiness and potential of, of having that. So yeah, no, I mean, I think it, it, it was about emotion, like a, being able to to, to be sure that we were able to express as much true and genuine emotion in life. Like the interview started the first section asking questions about my mom. And I mean, the first question that came out, I just started bawling. I was like, I didn't realize I was gonna be so emotional about recounting the story. I've told my mom's story, you know, millions of times before. Um, but it, in this moment, it meant something different. Um, it was uh, a new emotional journey for me, to, for me to go on. What would you say is this moment? Sort of the... The reflection and synthesis of of all of the things, like all of the pieces of my life, came to together when I became a dad. Um, you know, I became a dad in November of 2020. Officially, I, our, my foster daughter, we were able to adopt her, and so that was an exciting thing. But I think it was again the timing of this, right? Like I, I got it. My foster daughter became my daughter, and then I think a week later, I got an email. I was like, "Hey, would you like to do the show with us uh, on Hulu?" And it, again, it was all of this emotion. Like life is. Life, for some reason, was just all coming together and connecting uh, in, in that short amount of time. And so that, w- that was it. This moment of like, I just, my daughter, <laughs> my daughter just came into my life. And all of a sudden now I get to, to help tell a story of why that's such an important thing and how I connect all the dots from, you know, beginning to end. So that's, I mean, that's, that's, that's the moment for me um, as I, I talk about like this moment. That's so amazing. I think one of the things that I so enjoyed from your segment was the sense of coziness and family. And I think that a lot of that probably comes from this segment being shot in your home. So I wonder if you could talk to me about that space. The house I actually bought three, four years ago. I had just come out of a a, a long-term relationship. I had decided I was going to like be single, buy a condo, live on my own. And then I bought a three-bedroom house with a front porch swing and a backyard and I was like, what am I doing? <laughs> right? like, I, was like, I was like, here I am, the single person, single guy, and then just decided I'm going to buy this house. And after I did that, like all of these, my life just started to line up again. I met my current partner, fiance, three months after I bought the house. We officially didn't move in together because I was like, I, I just, I'm single. I need to be single for at least a year before we start dating. That was three months after I bought the house. And, and then, you know, maybe six months later, my foster daughter showed up. You know, so it was sort of like I bought this home and grew into it pretty quickly. And it's, it's a beautiful space. And, and I don't know, I think our, my, our friends love coming over. Um, I think even during the pandemic, it's been a challenge because um, folks are like, well, we want to hang out with you all. We want to come into your space. We want to come home because it is such a homey space. So my home is, is, uh, is a space where I always wanted to feel like everyone can be welcomed and come into. And that, I think I got that from my, my mom. Uh, like she was always just a, the door is open for anyone um, if you need assistance or help or just want a place to hang out and, you know, connect and find community. Um, and I think that's like number one for my house. Like I just want people to walk in the front door and feel like I'm, I'm home here. So we, we don't have like a no shoe rule. It's a up to you shoe rule, right? Like, so you come to the front door and, and I often will say, you know, feel free to take your shoes off. Um, you don't have to, but I think people feel like home when they can take their shoes off. I mean, you know, and, and so that's a, a first thing for me. You know, I think in, in our home, um, we have lots of Lots of pillows because I like to lie down on the floor a lot. <laughs> it centers me. 
Um, and I encourage like my, my daughter to do it sometimes too, to take a moment and just kind of lie down and center herself on the floor. It also has lots of reassuring or uplifting messages, or I don't, I don't even, I don't even know. It's, uh, it's not something that I never, I ever realized that I was so into. I walk into the room and it's like, there's a little sign that says you can go the extra distance because it's never crowded. Or, you know, my partner likes to, uh, buy me messages that are uh, reflective and motivating to kind of say, Hey, you know, re- remember you're special. Remember, you're important. You can do this. Um, and the similar messages we've started putting in our in our daughter's room, um, you know, just, you know, uh, here lies a beautiful young woman. There's joy in your eyes, like just sort of uh, affirming things. And, and actually, which I've uh, found that she likes to ask what they say. So I actually appreciate that. I, I hadn't thought about how that would translate to how she engages with them. I mean, she's four years old. She just turned four two weeks ago. But when she's always seen them, she'll say, what, you know, what does that say? Or what does that say? Um, and I appreciate that she has a desire to, to learn what the messages are. Um, and, and I know that she remembers them because there is uh, a painting that's like going down our staircase um, and it uh, has someone like giving the peace sign. Um, and so my partner and her every morning, you know, they, they kind of give a peace sign back to the, to the painting. Um, and, and it's been interesting because she then does it even if he's not there or if she's on her own. She kind of takes a moment um, and reflects on it. It's it's funny. It makes me think of this tweet I saw the other day that was basically saying, we didn't give Eat, Pray, Love enough credit. <laughs> love that movie. We were going ham on that movie, and I rewatched it, and I was like, first of all, Viola Davis is incredible. Yes. And we forgot Viola Davis was in that movie. Yes. But also, Eat, Pray, Love as a philosophy, you know? Why not? Why not just give yourself these opportunities sonically to remember and place ourselves uh, where we want to be or where we might need to be? Because it is, of course, you know, a visual exercise. It's the things that are written on the wall, but it then becomes the sonic exercise of the voice that you hear that tells you, you know, you are strong, you are, mm. you know, all these things. My mm. my partner has an eight-year-old and I gave the kid um, a sticker that says, you are a miracle. Because I just wanted that mm. to be in the space so that every day, that's just this reminder. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, it's the same reason why I practice, you know, my daughter's name with her every night as she goes to bed, right? Like to me, I, I practice that with her because it, it, it's sort of one, I want her to know who she is and her, her name means something. But also there's going to be this wonderful memory um, of, I, I, right, of like her practicing her name with her dad. You're right, and she's going to always have that. Yeah, it's real. It's very valuable. My um, my mother is in a difficult health moment, and it's impacting her voice. And I've been thinking so much about the sound of my mom's voice and how it might not be as it was as I always knew it. But those things are so important because those things stay with us. You know, it's on a a cellular kind of level. Like our bodies are full of water and all this magic and those sounds can really activate us and, and, and place us in places that maybe we need to go. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I hope if you haven't, I hope that you have some recordings of your mom's voice. Oh yeah. Um, She loves a voicemail. So (laughs) don't even worry about it. I have plenty of things. Um, but I do think about, I do think about that, you know, as, as I mean, we're, we're both people who were formerly children, right? At the very base, we have those memories that still are so embedded on us, good, bad, or otherwise. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't, and I, and that's something that, um, that I don't have, right? Mm-hmm. Like I don't have, I have to remember what my mom voice sound like, because that's all I have. I don't have a recording of it. I don't have any place where I can, you know, dig it up. There's no video. 
mm-hmm. uh, footage that I can find. But it is it is um, a striking thing to think about, sort of like how I can remember her laughter, right? Like that is poignant in my head. And outside of that, it is uh, oftentimes sad for me because I can't, um, because I just can't hear her voice. Um, and being able to see her, being able to not see her and not hear her voice uh, is 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 crippling. Uh, mm. There are moments when when you just want to hear that familiar sound, mm. um, and that will you know set you in all the right place. Um, I don't you know I don't I don't mind talking about right. Like I have these moments where the m- emotions become so strong for me as I think about the intersection of if my mom were here, what that would be like. Um, and I'll and I oftentimes will go into the closet. <laughs> no pun intended, but I'd go back in the closet. I'd go in the closet and I'd sit there and like, and I would clearing out all of the noise. So as much silence as I possibly did, could and try to remember her voice. Like that was, and I still do that. Like I try to remember the full like tone and tenor and the sing-songiness of the voice because it would give, I, I think it would give me some comfort, right? Because I, I, you know, it's like when those moments of, you know, do I feel capable enough of raising my black daughter? And I think I would love to talk to my mom about this. And I can't, and you know, and so it's going to the closet and trying to re- remember that voice and and still ask that question and, and sort of wrap myself in what that experience might be like for, for her to answer it. What you said just made me think so much about one of the questions that we got from one of our Hulu subscribers. This question is coming from Tyler in Missouri. Tyler asks, what are some of the lessons you learned from your mom that you hope to pass on to your own daughter? That is a good question. Gosh, I, I think cooking. I learned how to cook from my mom. And so at some point, I hope I can uh, pass it on to my daughter. Um, maybe she'll appreciate it as much as I do. I think there's there's so much joy and uh, in connection in cooking. I have some really great stories of cooking with my mom. So I think that's something. Uh, my mom just told me to taught me how to have an open heart. Um, even as she questioned or didn't sort of understand folks and people and things, she still taught me how to have an open heart. Um, She taught me that everyone was going through their own struggle. And so we should, you know, sort of meet them in that space um, and figure what that that is. She taught me how to have an open home. Um, You know, I I think our, my home now is is deeply a reflection of what my mom taught me. Um, Everyone is welcome, you know, leave your judgment outside, you know, so that that is something I hope uh, I'll be able to pass on to my daughter. She taught me how to laugh. Um, I think m- m- my mom, my mom's uh, laughter was something that was moving um, for other people. Um, I can remember other people talking about her laughter and how much that brought joy to them. And I hear that from people when I laugh and when I when I bring sort of that that joy. I don't. I'm always busy, so I feel like I don't do it as much as I, I should um, because I, I feel like I take myself too seriously sometimes. But but yeah, I mean, I think that's something else. I hope I'm able to. To, to help her maintain joy as much as possible. Maintaining joy, honey. Talk about hard work. <laughs> that is, that is. I, you know, it's it's one of the kitchen counter conversations that I've had with people where I, where I remind them, you know, they should always fight for their joy. Um, and, and it is really fighting for joy because I think you have to be intentional about, you know, taking the moments to, to lean into joy. Um, you have to often fight to keep haters away from you who are trying to steal your joy. Thank you, Denzel, for your response, and thank you, Tyler, for that question. And listen, if you have a question for any of the makers that we'll be talking to later this season, please leave us a voicemail at 
475-4858 for a chance to have your question featured on an upcoming episode of the podcast. We'd love to hear from you. I've been trying to decide like how to wake her up with different songs. Cause again, I remember like the music of my home and what I grew up with and country music and, you know, classics and, you know, Jamaican rockers and all these different things. And, you know, um, and so recently I've been waking my daughter up with Beyonce, um, just because, you know, but what Beyonce, I need you to, um, she's listening to the, we're listening to, we're listening to the black album right now. So anything that has anything that is like directly black related, I'm going through and, and I found like anything that like overemphasizes and speaks to black essence. And I just call it, and for us, it's the Black Album. Like, Because I'm like, okay, because we've talked about Jay-Z on this podcast before, <laughs> and Jay-Z no. has a Black Album. Black Album, so yeah, no, no. So we're talking still about Beyonce, Giselle knows Carter. Yes, 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 yes. But in my house, all of, like, anything that's, like, Black identity-based, Beyonce is just the Black Album. Got it. I, I say to my Alexa, play my Black, my Black, my Beyonce Blacklist on Spotify, and that's what she plays, so. I need that link. But I will, I will share. But it's great, because, again, this is, like, it's important for me, for my daughter to hear these sounds and to hear the message in the music more so than anything because where else is she going to get that affirmation from it should start in the home um, for her to understand that all shades of of, of black are beautiful and she is a, a, a very light shade of black very similar to my to my mother uh, you know which is also very interesting for me again um, because she is my adopted daughter so looking at her I see my mom because they literally look so similar but she wakes up now to to uh, to songs of beyonce and blackness uh, because that's like Again, that's that's important for me to sort of help her start to understand her skin color and who she is and her identity is is beautiful and powerful and all these things. And um, you know. so you'll send me your Beyonce playlist, and I will send you. There's this uh, BYP 100 did a chant song that I listen to now almost daily, and I also listen to Stevie Wonder. Don't you worry about a thing. Yes, we're on a thing. Yeah. Wow, so many things. Now I'm like thinking so much about the home, thinking so much about family. You know, I really appreciate you sharing so abundantly in this space because I know that it's not easy to do. How how do all of these things, safe, affirming spaces, vulnerability, and setting expectations inform how you do your work? I've had the opportunity to step in roles in recent that allow me to bring my full self and full identity to the table. Being CEO of, of Pride Fund One, which is a venture capital fund that singularly focuses on LGBTQ identities and ventures, that was a, a yes, right? Like, again, the opportunity to uplift and represent queer identities in business that are so often overlooked and who often don't feel comfortable bringing that identity to bear to ask for money or to present ideas. Um, we understand that business ideas usually come from some intersection of yourself, right? Like you come up with these ideas because there's something within you that matters. And so if you are a queer identity and your business idea was started because of that, you may feel that you can't go and ask for money or raise money on that on that premise. Again, because it was just until last summer legal to fire someone based on this, right? Like, And so that's why this was so important for me to step into this space. Um, you know, and also because there's so few black identities who are in venture. You don't see a lot of me. So to when you put that intersectional identity of of being queer and black and leading a venture fund, that's, you know, that 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 means something. And then, you know, I had the opportunity 
you know, I, I had started a nonprofit consulting um, business back in 2015. And so I was doing that part-time while I was working full-time in other, other jobs. Um, most of my time has been in higher education administration. And I left, I quit my job, uh, full-time job in January of 2020. So at the beginning of the pandemic, I was like, Peace out. Um, <laughs> that's not why I did it. I had already, it was like already in the works. Like right. I had been so broken at my last job. I mean, I mean, that's a whole other thing about like just I, broken. Like they broke me. Like in, like it was intentional breaking of my spirit. But I left that place because I was, I felt broken. And I was like, I need to change the space I'm in and and set my intentions in a, in a new way. And so I, you know, quit, quit the job, said I'm going to lean in full time to my consulting business, my nonprofit consulting um, and during that time, I stepped into an interim leadership role uh, with Stonewall Columbus, which is Central Ohio's LGBTQ community center and organization. We host the largest pride, in the second largest pride in the Midwest behind Chicago, where we welcome 800,000 people to Central Ohio. Um, we have a community center um, that has 1,500 square feet of public community space in the short north. And so we do a lot of work. Um, to ensure that we are uplifting the LGBT community, so all of our identities are thriving, and so that's you know, so that's the that's the work that 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 I've stepped into. So that's why I, you know I, I now say I'm a, I'm a professional gay. Like my, the, jo- <laughs> the job, yes. the jobs, the jobs that I get paid to do literally um, are are to ensure that queer identities are are being seen, are being heard, um, and that marginalized identities within those communities are also being seen, heard, and uplifted appropriately. Yeah. I mean, there can't be a conversation about liberation in the state of Ohio that does not center Blackness in some way. Um, Mm. To even Mm. think about the Great Mm. Migration. My family is from Cleveland. Um, You just can't do it. There's no no way that you can do that without talking about the leap of faith that our people had to take. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because I don't don't think people know a lot of the history of Ohio. I mean, yeah, full stop, right? Like, I don't think people realize the history, you know, whether that's the, the Underground Railroad history, that whether that's, you know, uh, some of our, some of the senators of, in Ohio many moons ago being some of the first who were pushing for, for equality and equity. So yeah, it, it is true. You can't really talk about liberation in that state without thinking about the Black identity. And I think, it, and it's attached to so many other things, like so many other things because oftentimes when we when we look back to the genesis of a lot of um a, a lot of why people were starting things was because there was there were the, the oppressed were the, were black folks and even though the faces of 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 those organizations right weren't black folks they were saying they were fighting for black folks and black and that's a problem to me right that was the problem now there was probably great positive intent in that space but what happens is again when when the face of a fight does not look like those who are being fought for, you forget, right? So for so long, right, the face of the fight has looked like one single thing, and people forget that those who are really struggling are the black and trans members of our community, right? But all you have seen for so long have been, you know, white cisgendered faces for the queer community as leaders or as champions. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't have to be an antagonistic relationship no, because not even at all. thinking about you know in the early 1900s, I'm gonna say I'm the worst with history, but thinking about those I, public I those publications, those societies of white cis mm. gay men who were trying to mm. make space for themselves that predate Stonewall. Yeah, we don't have to ignore that. 
no. to talk about all no. these other things. No. What's really happened is this disclosure, this this way that we've all come into sharing space together. And it should be a conversation about sharing space together. It should be a conversation about vulnerability yes. and also yeah. a conversation about our most vulnerable communities. Yes. Uh, but yeah. the war that is at hand is one that is just going quite literally to kill us all. So I know that as part of this project, you identified a nonprofit that you loved and partnered with Hulu to support it. Could you tell us a bit about the organization that you chose and why it's so special? Yeah. So I picked Lambda Legal as the partners uh, that we we uh, uplifted. With picking Lambda Legal as the organization to uplift, you know, what we were seeing there is that there are so many laws on the books, so many injustices that are being faced by the LGBTQIA community all the time that I wanted to make sure, and we need to make sure that we have the economic war chest to impact those things. Um, money matters, right? And I think even in the political arena, if we don't have the opportunity and ability to educate folks and put out messaging and, and, and appropriate resources and support to inform folks, um, then we can't you know, get the work done that we need to in, in terms of impacting legislation, um, ensuring that uh, any sort of uh, illegal or concerning activities that are happening to LGBTQ people are, are being uh, fixed and impacted. Yeah, I mean, this is a great time to remind anyone who's listening that if you're donating to any of these types of organizations, to donate specifically to the 501c4 lobbying arm of these organizations and be really deliberate about the type of ways that you'd like your money to be used, uh, because that is such a powerful thing when it comes down to legislation, when it comes down to how budgets are divided, your power is there. It, it is, I guess, uh, I don't even know if the word is excited. Maybe the, it's, I don't know what the word is, right? But maybe excited works. Like when I think about the fact that like as, a, as, as queer identities, we are literally the other. Like if that, right? And so we are more than half of everything. We, our intersections are in every spaces. It's not just about religion. We exist in religious spaces, not just about race. We are in race spaces. We are in politics and business. Like our identities exist everywhere. And so it seems like we should be able to, to have a, a greater ability to impact all of those spaces. And I don't know that we've taken the full power that we have to make that impact happen. As I think about even physical, the physical space or physical representation of that happens with the building, right? So at, at Stonewall, we have a physical building. And I think that's something we think about. Like, how do we bring all these, these identities into the space, right? Like, how do we invite them in and help them feel safe and, and, and welcome in that space. I'm always excited and enticed by conversations that I walk away and really feel like it was such a good use of my time. And I appreciate taking the call to be on this podcast so seriously and so tenderly. Thank you for having me and chatting with me and, and uh, just spending a little time. I really, really appreciate it. I really, really appreciate it. I cannot wait to listen to the Beyonce Black Album playlist. Denzel, thank you for inviting us into your world. Thank you for giving us a glimpse of life in Columbus. Please know that the next time I'm in town, I will be stopping by to check out that pillow situation and will be showing up, throwing up the peace sign to that painting in your foyer. 
To all of our listeners out there and to anyone who is reading this transcript, I hope that you know and that you never forget that you too are a miracle. If you enjoy this conversation, don't you worry. We've got so much more to come. We'll be talking to all of the makers from season two of Your Attention, Please on this podcast. So if you haven't already, watch the show, now streaming on Hulu. The episodes are also available for free on Hulu's YouTube channel. If you have a question for any of the makers that we'll be talking to later this season, please leave us a voicemail at 504-475-4858 for a chance to have your question featured on an upcoming episode of the podcast. So be sure to subscribe, leave us a rating, write a review, forward it to your cousin. It'll help more people find this show. Episodes are available literally anywhere and everywhere that podcasts are found and also right within the Hulu platform. Don't be afraid to find what you love, share it with the world, and scream from the mountaintop, your attention, please. Your Attention, Please! The Podcast is a production of Hulu and Pineapple Street Studios. Our executive producers are Jenna Weiss-Berman, Max Linsky, J.N. Barry, and Barry Finkel. Our lead producer is Sophia Steinert-Evoy, and our associate producer is Brianna Garrett. The Your Attention, Please! theme song is composed by Teddy Walton. Our show is engineered by Davey Sumner. And of course, I'm your host, Kimberly Drew. You can find me on social media at at Museum Mammy. That's all for this week, but we'll be back next Tuesday with more Black Excellence. Excellence.